calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Greetings, adventurers. Today we're excited to introduce you to a new story. Dark Dice, a horror podcast that blurs the line between actual play and audio drama, where the story is determined by the roll of the dice. Six adventurers embark on a journey into the ruinous domain of the Nameless God. They will never be the same again. One of the players is not what they seem after a doppelganger, a creature that can assume the form and voice of whatever it kills, infiltrates the team. As the players are picked off and replaced one at a time, can they figure out who the monster is before it's too late? Can you? Here's a quick example of what our show sounds like. The, uh, shambler with the jar of liquid inside of him. Soren Arkwright let loose an arrow that cracked the glass, passing through the spine of the creature. The shambler still managed to maintain its forward momentum, but stumbled as it eagerly tried to bite and swipe at Soren, landing near his feet. As Jeff Goldblum has now joined our cast, Dark Dice is available however you listen to podcasts. Realm presents Low Life. Episode 2 Carrie Carlyle stood as far from Brad Marlin as she could, her back turned as she stared at her house. The whole ride home, she'd had a hunch that this was coming, but now that she was here, she couldn't bear to look. I can't believe I'm going to say this, Marlin started. Actually, I'm not even going to say it. She finished his thought. The sheriff was right. Yup, Marlin said. Carrie steeled herself and turned around. Marlin stood over one of his massive spring traps. Lying between the jaws was a gnarled pair of chupacabra corpses, or what was left of them. God damn it, Marlin said. These traps were supposed to be empty. I was sure it wasn't actually a sucker attack. Now I have to put up with Sheriff Atkins and his I told you so crap. Maybe you can open with the tip about the missing Matheson girl she offered. Let him know we saw her out in the street last night. He'll probably be happy to have a lead. He's still going to be a dickhead about it, and we don't know it was her we saw last night. That could have been anyone. Do you want me to call him for you? No, I'll do it. Told him I'd let him know what I found. An honorable man's got to own up to his mistakes, even when he'd rather not. That's the only way society works. Like, if I found out I might have given someone the clap, I'm going to call and give her the heads up, you know? Carrie bent down to look at what was left of the chupacabras. Their dead eyes stared right at her. Their mangled arms strained for a freedom that would never come. Poor things, she said. You really have to quit it with that. These poor things killed my partner. Consider this payback. I've never been big on the whole eye for an eye thing. Well, if you see any more out here, maybe you can try to rehabilitate them, 
see if they'll take to carrots, whip up a kale smoothie. Hey, here's a great idea. Maybe you can start a sucker shelter. I didn't mean it that way. I understand they're a menace. It's just that how they died is so inhumane. Look at them. They were reaching out, trying to escape. The traps killed them instantly. Trust me. I took a Duke number 15, filed the teeth into razors, and cranked the action on the pan. That thing was built to stop a Kodiak in its tracks. Now she'll drop a rhino. He looked out into the distance. You know what gets me, though? There's two of them. I've never seen that before. Never. They always hunt alone. But species evolve, Carrie said. Behavior patterns change and adapt with surroundings. Maybe they're learning. I guess no one's too dumb to pick up some new tricks. You know, I learned to burp the alphabet just last year. I believe it, Carrie said, putting a stop to that before it started. Marlin looked down at his watch. So I suppose I'll get out of your hair now. I said I'd pay you double your rate, Carrie said, reaching into her purse for her checkbook. So that would be, don't worry about it. It's okay. No, really, I feel bad. Because of Eduardo, and you let me stay at your place, and just everything. Please, you don't need to do that. She put her checkbook away. Okay, if you really insist. Oh, I, I didn't mean no pay. Sorry, I just meant you don't need to pay me double. Carrie could feel herself turning red. Oh, geez, I'm so sorry. What was the total again? Yeah, it's just 175. That's a standard quote. Gas and operating costs. I don't really charge less than that. You know, if that's cool. Of course. Carrie scribbled out her check while Marlon picked at his teeth. She handed it to him. Marlon shoved it into his jeans. Great. Well, good luck with everything. With school. Thanks. And you too. He reached his hand out to her. She shook it. Okay, bye. He said. Bye. I'm just gonna pick up my traps now. Right. I'm going inside. Goodbye. Bye-bye. Carrie walked back toward her house. She heard Marlin grumbling to himself as he bent over a trap. Something about being a goddamn idiot. Marlin guided his trusty brat into the Broward County Sheriff's Department's main parking lot. He found a space close to the entrance and pulled in. He stepped out of the car, his bones aching from too much action and nowhere near enough sleep. He glanced up at a sign above his space reading, Police Vehicle Parking Only. Marlin considered moving the vehicle, but the fuckets won out. He walked through the double doors and found that the front desk was unattended. Must have been a slow crime day. Marlin looked through wire mesh windows into the squad room. He spotted Piper and another officer playing a game of one-on-one -on -one underneath a Nerf basketball hoop. He gave the buzzer a ring. Sergeant Hong emerged from the men's bathroom, still tucking his uniform shirt into his pants. Marlin and Hong knew each other from their days at the police academy. He used to hate Hong's guts, and he still did. Brad Marlin. Hey, Hong. Heard your name pop up on the scanner last night. I was worried you'd shot your other foot. You know, to even things out. Yeah. I've been walking in circles for years, Marlin said, trying to be a good sport. Anyway, I need to have a word with your boss. He in today? Did you find a motive in the case of the idiot who shot himself in the foot? No. I wanted to shoot yourself in the foot? 
Come on, Hong, that one's not even a joke. I need to talk to Atkins. It's about last night. I told him I'd check in if I found something, and I found something. Also might have a lead for him on another case you guys are supposed to be working. Hong raised one eyebrow. Marlin pictured him practicing that look in the mirror, thinking he's The Rock, or a Marx brother. What a smug asshole. Have a seat, Brad. I'll let him know you're here. Nice shoes, by the way. Tools of the trade? Marlin looked down at his Dollar Tree flip-flops. Hong pressed the intercom and made another joke at Marlin's expense. Laughter came from the back of the squad room. Marlin let out a deep sigh and sat down on a bench. He watched the deputies play basketball in the bullpen. It looked like fun. He surveyed a bulletin board with photos of missing persons. Olivia Matheson's face smiled down at him. The same photo they'd been showing on the news. She sure looked like the crackhead they saw in the street. He stared into her eyes, lost in thought. Boom shakalaka, Piper yelled as he dunked the Nerf ball. They made eye contact. Marlin smiled at him. Piper turned to some of the other officers and mimed shooting himself in the foot with a rifle. They all had a good laugh. Marlin crossed his legs. He looked down at the top of his right foot. There was still a cluster of scar tissue where the bullet had hit him. He wiggled his toes. They still fucking worked, thank you very much. He looked back up at Olivia's poster. That poor lost girl. What the hell happened to her? And what were these cops doing to help her? Nothing? Playing schoolyard games? If that really was her last night, things had gone downhill fast. Between Olivia and Eduardo, the mysteries were piling up. He couldn't shake the feeling that he might be the only one who could do something about it. Marlin put his foot down. He bolted out of his seat. Hong, I gotta go. Atkins said he'd be out in a mit. Let him enjoy his dump. Just tell him he was right, okay? I found a pair of chupacabras in my traps at the Carlisle house this morning. Uh, okay. Hey, Piper, Marlin called out. Piper turned. Yeah? Bet you 20 bucks you can't sink one from the front desk. You're on, gun shoe. Piper walked around the partition and into position. He rolled his neck, preparing to take the shot. Hong and the other deputies all turned to watch. Marlin discreetly tore the Olivia Matheson poster off the wall and stuffed it under his shirt. Piper lofted the ball into the air. It sailed wide of the hoop by a good three feet. All right, Marlin, you win. But Marlin was already gone. Marlin drove down West Sunrise Boulevard, a busy low-end commercial strip full of rim shops, storefront churches, and big yellow signs advertising Gold Pawn. His mind was racing. He knew he should have just told the cops what he'd learned about Olivia Matheson. But what did he even know? That the daughter of the richest man in Lauderdale was hooked on meth and stealing dresses off clotheslines? Plus... Atkins was no different from Hong and Piper. The sheriff would find some other way to treat him like shit and laugh him out of the office. Marlin needed something more concrete. 
Real information worth presenting to a skeptic like Atkins. Or maybe he'd sort out the whole damn mess by himself. First, he needed to get his ear to the ground, and he knew exactly where to start. He pulled up to a run-down building with a funky hand-painted sign that read, Lukumi Trading Shop. Bells jingled as he walked in. The scent of incense hit him hard in the nostrils. Marlon always liked the smell of the shop. He'd bought himself some incense a few times, but it sat unused in his closet. He'd never remember he had it until he was back here. If it weren't for the condoms and candy displayed on the counter, you could have mistaken the place for 19th century Luanda. The shelves were lined with totems, relics, and snakeskins. Marlin excused himself as he stepped around a twitchy man in filthy clothes, examining a selection of wooden figurines labeled La Protection, 1499. At the back of the store, Marlin found Brother Leroy ringing up an older black woman. Leroy was especially decked out today, wearing a colorful dashiki, a matching fez, and a lot of jewelry. He nodded to Marlin, then continued his spiel. He spoke in a deep Caribbean accent. You still have my recipe for Benachin, Mrs. Thompson? Of course I do, she replied. You make that rice extra hot with shito sauce, and you grind this black snake root with two pinches of Bordeaux leaves. Then you serve it to him with warm cassava bread, okay? That's it? La Serene's been good to you before, no? Your grandson will eat. It's the spell my mam used to cure my stutter when I was a boy. The old lady reached into her purse. And how much do I owe you, Leroy? Leroy locked eyes with Marlin as the old lady counted out her change. Mr. Marlin, good to see you. I'll be right with you. I need to talk to you. Give me two minutes. I'll meet you in the back. Marlin grabbed some Twizzlers from a jar on the counter. Cool? I'll put it on your tab. The twitchy man stumbled over to Leroy, holding up one of the wooden figurines. What you have there, Ross? Leroy asked, worried that the man was about to knock something over. These things actually work? Leroy flashed him a wide smile. Things were different in the back of the store. The back office was all boxes of backstock, spreadsheets, and work orders. A laptop and stacks of papers sat on a scuffed tanker desk. An old Dolphins poster featuring Mark Clayton and Mark Super Duper hung on the wall. Marlin paced back and forth, chewing his Twizzler. Leroy entered through the beaded curtain. Hey, man, Marlin said. I need your help. Some crazy shit is going... Will you sit your ass down? All trace of Leroy's Caribbean accent vanished. Out of earshot from his customers, he sounded like any other small business owner from South Florida. He removed his fez to reveal sponge twists at the top of a high fade. And can you please remember to enter through the back? It's urgent. I don't care if your face is on fire. You gotta respect what I'm trying to do here. Sorry, man, Marlin said, sitting down on a beanbag. Leroy pulled his robe over his head and hung it up. I heard about Eddie. I'm so sorry, brother. He was a good kid. 
You holding up okay? I'm dealing. It's all part of the colossal mindfuck I got going on right now. Marlin pulled out the missing person flyer. What can you tell me about her? Olivia Matheson. Henry Matheson's daughter. She disappeared a couple weeks ago. It's been all over the news. I know, I watch the news, but what can you tell me? You know her? Ever seen her around? Yeah, I've seen her down in Boulevard Gardens a few times, over by Spudville and Memorial Park. So, that's her thing? Meth? Cracking stuff? No, man, she's down there doing outreach. She runs a drug treatment center called Daybreak. Sweet girl, not preachy or anything. Just trying to help heads kick, and it's pay what you can. She got Ray Ray clean. What are people saying about her disappearance? All kinds of stories. Her car's missing, so some folks think she just ran off somewhere, took a little vacation. Her dad's loaded, so other people are saying it was a kidnapping. But two weeks and no ransom? That's sounding less likely every day. The far-out theory is that her dad had something to do with it. He's a shady fuck and they don't get along, but I don't think the man is evil enough to kill his own daughter. She's not dead. I know that for a fact. Leroy leaned forward. Oh, you do, do you? I nearly ran into her with my truck last night. She looked totally strung out, though. Like the meth rotted her teeth out. Nah, that doesn't sound like her. She's always real put together. It's sad she's missing. I know a tweaker when I see one. Leroy shook his head. I believe you saw a meth head, but I sincerely doubt it was her. Her older brother died of a heroin overdose about seven years ago. She's about as straight-laced as they come. Why are you so shaken up? Everything okay? Everything's fine. I just hope she's okay. There's some weird stuff going on out there. You're telling me. Shit's good for business, but damn. Really? What have you seen? I've had base heads in here the last few days looking for any kind of hoodoo to keep them safe. But they won't tell me what they're scared of. Even had one ask me for silver bullets. Something's got them spooked. What are you selling them for that? Leroy laughed. Bunch of ten-cent wooden figurines my guy in Okav shipped to me by accident. I've been saying they've got protection powers. Marlin pushed himself up from the beanbag. If you find out that they actually work, hold on to one for me. Absolutely. Shit, I almost forgot, Marlin said. I need a refill on spray. I'm running on fumes. Leroy shook his head. You're out of luck. My delivery never came yesterday. Supplier's been flaking on me lately. Marlin couldn't catch a break. Well, if you tell me where they're at, I can just go pick it up directly. Psh, I'm not giving up a source. You know me better than that. But I'll give you a call when I'm whole again. Fuck, Leroy, what am I supposed to do? I have a couple jobs lined up for tomorrow. Damned if I know. Honorary 
remote island in frigid Lake Superior. A fabricated creature birthed from the mind of a disturbed genius stalks the very people who created it. Ancestor by number one New York Times bestselling author Scott Sigler is a classic tale of science gone horribly wrong. Available wherever you get your podcasts. Motherfucker, Marlin screamed, startling the patrons seated outside the Starbucks bathroom. He'd been trying to tie this goddamn necktie for 20 minutes. Every time, the skinny part came out longer than the fat one. Finally, at the 21-minute mark, he got it to a respectable length. He tucked in his white button down, parted his hair, and put on a pair of reading glasses. He checked the mirror. He looked like a total poindexter. Perfect. He walked out of the bathroom, apologized to the line that had formed behind him, and took a seat near the window. Marlin knew if he waited at the Starbucks on Northeast 26th Street long enough, he'd see either an ex-verminators or beast-begone truck pull up. He figured he'd see ex-verminators first. They had more trucks on the road than anyone else in the game. They mostly hired fresh meat just out of high school, kids who never lasted more than a summer before they moved on to greener and safer pastures. Beast Begone was old school. He knew a lot of those guys, even liked a few of them. But by and large, they were cocky pieces of shit. He'd been involved in a couple turf brawls with the Beast Begone crew at the Chicky Hut over the years. Marlin had been drinking there since high school, and he'd be damned if he was going to let a bunch of corporate shills share his favorite watering hole. Marlin sat and sipped the overpriced grande dark roast he'd bought in order to use the bathroom. Not bad, he thought. Cold now, but not bad. He reviewed his plans. If a beast-begone truck rolled up, Marlin was sure brute force would be the way to go. Smash a window, grab some spray. Pretend that he was above that, but he sure as hell wasn't. That wouldn't fly with ex-verminators. Their fleet was brand new and tricked out with the latest security systems. You breathed on them the wrong way. You had an alarm letting the world know. Marlin needed a cover story to go with his disguise. He'd picked up the shirt and tie from Vicky's on the way here. The reading glasses had been Eduardo's. They were left in the truck. Before he died. Marlin racked his brain for a fake name. Maybe Eduardo something? A tribute to his fallen comrade? He wasn't sure if he could pull off an Eduardo. He looked out across the plaza to see if anything sparked. What about Barnes Nobleman? Yeah, that sounded good. He'd be Barnes Nobleman from the Broward County Animal Control and Public Health and Safety Bureau. He'd ask to inspect their gear. Say he needed to borrow a tank of spray to run some tests. Make sure everything's up to code. These kinds of inspections used to happen all the time. The state would send their pencil pushers into the field to check on the equipment that exterminators were using. Lucky for Marlin, that kind of close supervision had slowed down over the years. His equipment was a far cry from up-to-date or legal. Six months back, he started using Leroy's spray. Marlin kept pestering him, trying to find out more about his mysterious source, but Leroy had a tendency to play his cards close to his chest. What he did know 
was that it got the job done for a fraction of the cost. Marlin looked out the window and spotted a bright green truck pulling into the lot. It was a brand new Silverado HD with X-Verminators emblazoned across the side. A couple of kids, barely 18 years old, stepped down from the truck. They were covered head to toe in green and white plastic armor. They looked like they'd walked out of an Atomic Age sci-fi movie. If you're hiring teenagers with no experience, it made sense to throw ridiculous body armor on them, pay the minimum wage, cover the cost of their Starbucks habit, and you've got a small, disposable army of sucker killers. Marlin adjusted the knot on his tie. He planned to slip out the door when the boys went up to the counter. Then he'd meet them by their rear bumper, flashing the fake credentials Leroy made him a few months ago. He watched the kids walk into the store. The taller one relayed an order to his partner, some kind of fancy vanilla drink. Vanilla Slim walked over to the table next to Marlin and pulled off his helmet. He left it on the seat and dropped the truck keys next to it. He looked Marlin up and down. Can you watch my stuff for a second, mister? He asked Marlin. I gotta use the restroom. Sure thing, partner, Marlin responded in a deep southern drawl. Looked like his luck was finally changing. Vanilla Slim ducked into the bathroom. His partner was at the register, chatting up the young barista. Marlin reached over to the keys and pressed the door unlock button. He heard the beep and saw a flash of headlights from the parking lot. He walked outside, opened up the gate of the Silverado, and helped himself to a couple tanks of spray. That was easy, Barnes Nobleman thought to himself. Carrie had spent the day trying to study, but she was still shaken from the events of the night before. Nothing like a man dying in your backyard to put a cramp in your schoolwork. Everything about the last eight months had been hard enough on Carrie. It began with Professor Elkin's stroke. Wesleyan had suggested she put her studies on ice until Elkins had either recovered or they'd found a suitable replacement. There wasn't much hope for the former, and the latter would be like discovering a five-leaf clover. Wesleyan wasn't the only school with an evolutionary ecology and marine biology program, but Elkins was a pioneer in the study of delphinidae. And no matter how hard Carrie pleaded to continue the essential work they were doing, the university wasn't going to stick its neck out on behalf of one lone graduate student. And then there was Alex. It had started so easily between them. He studied saxophone and played in free jazz ensembles in New York and Boston. A real artist. And all of his passion, all of his brilliance, lit a fire under Carrie. He'd inspired her. She was quick to look past the fact that he was barely taller than she was. He'd seemed like he was looking for a true partner. He was kind, smart, nurturing. He was a feminist ally, vocal in his support of the third wave and intersectionality. He didn't just name-check Judith Butler or Audre Lorde. He'd read them. He'd even introduced Carrie to Bikini Kill. Of course, everything turned out to be bullshit— they were together for 10 months before a text from the letter H popped up on his phone. Carrie didn't think much of it, but when the messages kept coming, his explanation had the ring of fantasy. It was his buddy Harold from his Boston combo, but she'd seen Harold's name in his phone before. Eventually, 
she discovered that H stood for Hannah. Hannah turned out to be the tip of a very deep iceberg. His phone was full of K's, J's, and T's. Alex had a problem with the truth. He'd always had a knack for the dramatic. He'd regularly cancel at the last minute. He was out of town every Friday night because he had a standing gig in Cambridge. She later discovered that Riles's had closed in 2018. There were other warning signs. He accused her of hating him, of being embarrassed about his height. Alex could and would turn any argument in his favor. He was the master of the neg, a world-class gaslighter. One night, Carrie trailed him when he headed into the city, but he and his sacks never hopped a train into Manhattan. She followed him down to New Haven. He met up with an older woman at a restaurant called Olia. Carrie watched through the windows as they dined side by side, sharing food and tender kisses. When she confronted him for the final time, Alex didn't try to explain himself. He didn't apologize. Instead, he smiled. He explained to her that she was still his number one, still his care bearer, but that he had too much love to give only one woman. He couldn't imagine his life without her, but she would have to accept an open relationship. Carrie had no time for that. She'd never felt this kind of passion with anyone else, but she was young. There would be other men. Maybe there would be other women. What shocked her was his refusal to accept that it was over. Her phone rang off the hook for weeks. He would not take no for an answer. Nothing Alex said or did going forward could make her forgive him. Things got worse. He made up stories about her to their friends. She began to suspect that he was following her. One night she came home to find her apartment a mess. Her hamper had clearly been ransacked. Her hair had been removed from a hairbrush. A bottle of her wine sat empty on the kitchen counter. Between the bottom falling out of her studies and the stalker ex, it dawned on Carrie that it might be time to give up on Connecticut. She let the faculty at Florida Atlantic know she was ready to transfer her degree, pulled her VW Golf onto I-95, and headed for New Horizons in Fort Lauderdale. Her grandfather had just moved into a nursing home after a nasty spill, and she had arranged to stay at his house. It was a small home, but it served her needs even if it did have a slight chupacabra problem. Carrie remembered she still had laundry out on the clothesline. Finally, something to do that wasn't staring at a computer screen. She stepped outside. The sky was heavy. Mid-afternoon rains were on the way. Through a billowing white sheet, she noticed movement near the chicken coop. It was the red-headed woman from the previous night. She was frozen in place, halfway between the shack and the back porch, still looking a little worse for wear in an oversized button-down shirt and jean shorts. They were no doubt stolen from another unsuspecting clothesline. They locked eyes. Carrie wasn't sure how to handle this. She took another step toward her when the girl spooked. She hissed at Carrie like a frightened cat. It's okay, Carrie said. You're Olivia Matheson, right? The redhead's eyes softened, she cocked her head, fear in her sunken eyes. Let me help you, Carrie said. Olivia bolted past her, out across the lawn toward the swamp. Ah, oh, come on, I just want to talk to you. Carrie looked down at her feet. Espadrilles. Ugh. But she couldn't let Olivia get away. Carrie raced after her past the sawgrass, through puddles and up into a hammock of oak and palm trees. It was quiet. 
No sign of Olivia. She heard a branch snap nearby. Carrie spun around just in time to see a flash of red hair speeding off into the swamp. Crap! Carrie huffed and puffed as she raced through the woods, leaping over enormous gnarled roots. Olivia turned back to see Carrie making ground. I'm not mad about the dress, Carrie yelled. I just want to help. Carrie found herself in a clearing. She saw Olivia, stopped at the edge of a long, shallow pool of green water. Please stop. I just want to talk. The redhead growled, then dove headfirst into the swampy water. It was a perfectly executed dive. Even the Russian judge would have given at least a nine. Carrie walked to the edge of the pond. She knew the girl would have to reemerge soon. She waited. And waited. No sign. She saw some bubbles in the distance. Olivia couldn't have made it that far, could she? Carrie looked around, knee-deep in muck. Her sandals were ruined. God damn it! Carrie was bewildered and alone in the middle of a swamp. The sky opened up with a thunderous crack. Rain poured down, soaking Carrie to the bone. Someone tapped Marlin on his shoulder. I might have some info for you, guy. Marlin turned around. He was staring at the same skittish junkie type he'd seen back at Leroy's store. What was the guy's name? Russ? The dude was even more strung out than he'd looked earlier in the day. Oh, yeah? Marlin countered. You seem to be asking a lot of questions. There's no one here that's going to tell you what I know. Marlin had spent the afternoon driving around Boulevard Gardens. He still didn't have a clue what he was looking for. It's not like he was expecting to find Olivia Matheson just walking down the street. Instead, she was staring down at him from the missing posters plastered on every telephone pole. Funny how Marlin had barely noticed them until today. But now that he was trying to pick up her trail, he couldn't escape Olivia's smiling face. Even though Boulevard Gardens was just a few blocks west of I-95, it felt like the other side of the world from central Fort Lauderdale. Plywood windows and shuttered storefronts were the norm on streets like Sistrunk and Northwest Fourth. He'd stopped at the treatment facility that Olivia had started and spoke to a couple of caregivers in the parking lot. Nobody had seen or heard from her since she went missing two weeks ago. Marlin felt silly asking so many questions. He wasn't a cop. But the folks at the center said they'd help however they could. It all felt like a dead end. And Marlin was about to head home when Russ tapped him. The guy clearly wasn't all there, but Marlin figured he could hear him out. He remembered from his police training that some of the best clues came from the unlikeliest places. And all it took was one good lead to bust a case wide open. It's gonna cost you 50 bucks, Russ said. Marlin told the useless junkie to take a hike and quit wasting his time. Come on, man, the guy pleaded. This is the deal of the century. I know you got the money. I can tell you aren't police. How do you know that, Marlin asked. I could be police. The junkie laughed. No fucking way. You're one of us. What makes you think I'm not undercover? Nah, 
I can tell an undercover a mile away. They shower every morning. You stink almost as bad as I do. Thanks, Marlin said. I got no money for you, though. Then I'm not helping you out. Best of luck, my friend. Marlin reached for his wallet and opened it up to show the guy it was empty. He turned it upside down for effect. I'm broke, man. I'm running my father's business into the ground. My partner was murdered last night. I could have sworn I saw Olivia Matheson right before it happened. I'm kind of a shitty guy, but I'm trying to not be for once in my life. I need to find this girl. Oh, fuck right off, Russ said. Some rich white girl goes missing and that's when you feel the call? There's some shit going down out here, man. Insane shit. Stuff you wouldn't believe even if you saw it. Oh, yeah? What kind of stuff? Man, that's the info I'm trying to sell you. So this info you got, it's not about Olivia? Fuck Olivia. Did you know her? Hell no, never met her. I can't keep these do-good types straight, man. They all come around here looking to feel good about themselves, half of them going on about a version of the Bible I never read. Whenever one of these shoreline types goes missing, the cops tear this place apart. But when some real shit goes down, where are they? Like when that lady got herself killed. Who got killed? Well, we aren't sure she got killed, but it happened a couple nights ago. I didn't see the attack, but I heard the screams. Cops said it was suckers. I know what it really was. Oh, yeah? It was like an alligator, but not a normal one. This one was way bigger. Walked on two feet. Moved almost like a bear. Yeah, right. I'm telling you. You saw it? I saw the back of it, and it had a big scaly tail. It was taking off when we got there, climbed a fence and disappeared. How do you know it wasn't just an alligator? Gators are climbing fences now? Anyone else see it? Yeah, there were six of us. We were sleeping in the park and the screams woke us up. We ran over to Spudville and all we found of the poor girl was a torn up jumpsuit on the ground. And then we saw it. The lizard man. It's got everyone real spooked. You tell the cops? Of course. But who's going to believe a bunch of junkies? I believe you. This jumpsuit. Was there any blood on it? No blood. No body neither. But someone had to have gotten killed. You wouldn't have believed those screams. Never heard anything like it. Look, man, Marlin said, flipping through his wallet. Thanks for your help. I don't have 50 bucks, but I've got this gift card from Red Robin. I think it's still got another seven or eight dollars on it. Maybe less. I heard about Eduardo, Sparky said. I'm really sorry. You holding up okay? It's a dangerous line of work. It happens. He'd been hoping he wouldn't run into Sparky. It had been a shitty day and Marlin wasn't in the mood. He kept trying to make the events of last night fit together, but they wouldn't. And a day without bookings meant he was out a few hundred bucks. 
He just wanted to clean out yesterday's traps in peace, grab a couple six-packs, and fall asleep in front of the TV. But here was Sparky, leaning against a wooden fence next to the slop sink outside the chicky hut, sipping on a land shark. He was such a nice boy. Are you sure you don't want... Jesus, I'm fine, Marlin shouted. Why does everybody keep asking me how I'm doing? Yeesh. Don't sass me. I'm just trying to be nice. He's not the first partner I've lost. He's the first one I've heard you call a partner and not an assistant. Sparky had a point there. Look, Spark, I don't feel like talking. I've got a lot going on. I'm trying to get my head around something. All right. Whatever F's you'll be. I'm not in the mood for your innuendos either, all right? It stands for floats your boat. Oh. What did you think I meant? Nothing. Drop it. Marlin walked around to the back of the brat and popped the gate open. I heard that girl stayed over last night, Sparky said. What was her name? Carrie? Lauderdale wasn't a small town, but if anything remotely scandalous happened, Sparky knew about it. Struck out, huh? Sparky said. She didn't seem like your type anyway. If you're gonna insist on talking to me, can you give me a hand unloading this stuff? Sparky put down his beer and walked over to the truck. And how is she not my type? Marlin asked. Oh, come on. When have you ever gone for that damsel in distress thing? I'll bet it's all an act anyway. No one's that sweet. I think she really is. If that's true, this town's gonna eat her alive. Carrie sat on her living room sofa, ringed by textbooks and binders. Her laptop was open on the coffee table. She was too tired for schoolwork, but too behind to ignore it. Her phone rang. An unfamiliar number with a 954 area code flashed across the screen. She let it go to voicemail. It buzzed again with a text message. I've got a new number. Guess who? Her mind immediately went to Alex. But she'd blocked his phone weeks ago, and 954 was local. It could be anyone. Maybe it was just one of her college friends. She really wished they wouldn't joke around like this when they knew what she'd been through. LOL, no idea, she texted back. Guess again, Care Bear, came the response. Carrie froze. It was him. How the fuck did he get a Florida area code? Did he know she was down here? Was he down here? There was a knock at the door. Someone was here. It couldn't be Alex, could it? Another knock, harder this time. Not right now. Please not now, Carrie thought as she got up from the couch. She crept to the door and peered carefully out the peephole. Carrie saw Olivia Matheson standing on her porch, her tattered clothes covered in filth. The fisheye lens amplified her sad, tired eyes. Are you all right? Carrie called through the door. The girl grunted. She pressed her face up against the peephole. Carrie noticed the blood and dirt wringing her severely chapped lips. Are you okay? I was worried you'd drowned. The girl opened her mouth to speak 
but no words came out. It's Olivia, right? Olivia nodded. I can call the police. Everyone's looking for you. What should I do? Olivia spoke, her voice like gravel. Please, I need help. Will you tell me what happened? I can't help you if you won't tell me what you need. I'm so cold. Come on in. Let me get you some better clothes. Olivia smiled through broken teeth and blackened gums. Marlin dropped the traps containing the mutilated chupacabras. Woo boy, Sparky said. Those two look nasty. Where'd you find them? At Carrie's. Sparky bent down for a closer look. Well, that's strange. What is? These are bait traps, right? You put the food in the middle like a mouse trap? Yeah, beef jerky on the platter. Teriyaki works best. I don't know why, but they can't get enough. So, if these suckers went in there to get the food, why aren't their heads in the traps? Sparky was right. It's like they backed in. Ass first. That, Marlin said, or somebody put them in there like that. Why would someone do that? They wanted us to think it was a sucker attack. Excuse me? Conspiracy theories are my department. Maybe you're right. Maybe there is something big going down. I saw Leroy earlier. He was telling me about a lot of crazy talk in the homeless camps on the west side. People are scared of something out there. I was down in Boulevard Gardens earlier, and this guy came up to me with an insane story. Okay, go on. He told me he saw a giant alligator walking on two legs. Oh? Was this Gator Erectus also howling at the moon? Come on, Sparky, this is your jam, man. Wild woolly stuff. And I think it's all tied into that missing girl, Henry Matheson's daughter. We saw her right before Eduardo was killed last night. I almost hit her with my truck. You saw Olivia Matheson? Was she on the run or something? I have no idea. She was acting real strange, Marlin said. You know what she did? She hissed at me. Like a cat. We let her go because we didn't know who she was yet. When the cops showed up, they found her dress near where Eduardo was killed. So she's dead? Don't know. There wasn't any blood. Same thing my new pal Russ found near his gator friend in Boulevard Gardens. Torn up clothes and no blood. He heard a woman's screams, but there wasn't a body. So, there's evidence that something killed two women, but no bodies were found either time? How do you reckon... Marlin cut him off. It was one woman. And there's no blood because... It sank in. He slammed the brat's hat shut. I've got to get over there. What? Why? I think Olivia Matheson might be what all the crackheads are scared of. Carrie pulled a sweater from the top shelf of her bedroom closet. This ought to fit her, 
she thought. She'd left the girl sitting on the couch with a glass of water. She walked back into the living room. No sign of her guest. Olivia? She called out. Where are you? She heard rustling noises coming from the office. Carrie walked down the hall. She pushed the door open and found Olivia rummaging through her grandfather's boxes from the Korean War. What are you... The girl turned. Uh, I'm sorry. What the hell's going on? Carrie demanded. Olivia looked up. Her blue eyes had changed. They were bright yellow. Her pupils vertical black slits. She lunged at Carrie, pinning her against a wall. Olivia leaned in close and growled. Carrie managed to grab Olivia's wrists. They both fell into the hallway, crashing into a sideboard full of Navy memorabilia. They hit the floor. The pewter model of the USS Hazelwood landed on Olivia's skull. She let go of Carrie and rolled up onto her knees. Carrie lay on her back, the wind knocked out of her. Olivia was heaving, convulsing like a cat, coughing up a hairball. Blood ran down her face. She grabbed her temples in agony. Carrie tried to get her own panicked breath under control. She scanned the room for something to use as a weapon. She came up short. When Carrie looked back, Olivia was turning green. Like, actual green. Carrie watched in horror as the redhead dug her fingers into her own skin. Her knuckles swelled and her shoulders shook. Blisters formed all over her body. Her shirt and shorts started to shred as her body swelled and grew. Violent spasms overtook her. Olivia's bloated flesh was dark green and leathered. Carrie stumbled across the room. She wanted to get as far away as possible, but she was also desperate to understand what the fuck was happening. Olivia wailed in anguish as a big green tail twisted out from her lower back. Her nails were long and sharp now, like gnarled talons. Her cracked lips peeled back as her mouth opened wide, her jawbone thrusting out from the rest of her face. Her teeth distorted, growing into fangs. She tore off the last of her clothes like they were on fire. Carrie stared at the terrifying beast before her. The monster climbed up onto its reptile feet, balancing itself with its tail. It let out a guttural, deafening roar. Carrie's mind raced through the index of animal morphology in her head. There was only one way to describe what she was looking at. There was a were-gator in her living room. And it was pissed. The were-gator leapt at Carrie. Carrie jammed a lamp between the snapping jaws. The lamp shattered. The beast swiped at Carrie's arm with its claws, leaving a bloody scratch. This was not going well. The thing was going to kill her. Carrie clutched her arm as the alligator woman reared back its head. The beast moved in on its prey. Its mouth opened wide, and ribbons of drool dripped on Carrie's face. Carrie braced for everything to come to an end. Her life flashed before her eyes. A flip-flopped foot crunched into the were-gator's spine, knocking the monster to the ground. Carrie couldn't believe her eyes. Brad Marlin stood above it, triumphant. Hello there, he said. Hi, was all Carrie could muster. The were-gator leapt to its feet. Marlin turned to face it. Hey, big girl, you a Bowie fan? He asked. The alligator woman roared. Let's dance. 
It lunged at him. He grabbed its arms. They grappled. The monster took a big swipe at Marlin's belly, tearing his shirt. Carrie climbed to her feet. What can I do? I could use a beer. I'll be right back. Carrie ran to the kitchen. I was kidding about the beer, Marlin called after her. I know. Carrie opened her utensil drawer. She grabbed an enormous chef's knife and ran back into the living room. The were-gator lunged at Marlin again. He dodged to the side like a matador. The monster crashed into the wall, knocking a framed picture to the floor. Marlin grabbed a rattan peacock chair from the corner of the room. He brought it down on the were-gator's head. It barely winced. Drool dripped from its jowls. Hey, you bitch, Carrie shouted, raising the knife above her head. Carrie ran at the were-gator. The beast roared and leaned back on its tail, kicking out with both feet. Carrie brought the knife down, slicing into the monster's left foot. Two severed talons went bouncing under the couch. The were-gator landed back on its feet. It swung its tail at Marlin's legs, dropping him hard. Prone on his back, he spotted Carrie's laptop lying on the floor. You need this? He shouted. Yeah, she said. I mean, no. Why? The alligator woman charged. Marlin smashed the computer into its face, shattering metal and plastic. The beast was down. Marlin climbed on top of it. He started pounding away. You killed Eddie, you lizard fuck. He was losing it. Blow after blow smashed into the monster's skull. He was gonna be a cop. Marlin's knuckles were covered in blood, but he kept going. He was choking back tears. He was the best partner I... Brad, that's enough, Carrie yelled. He pounded away. There was no life left in the creature. I hate you. Carrie reached out to touch his shoulder. He looked up at her with tears in his eyes. He stopped. He stood and wiped his hands on his tank top. The monster was dead on the floor. Its face was badly broken. Marlin wiped his eyes. Uh, I'm sorry about your computer. It's fine. Are you okay? Marlin was a mess. He nodded. I will be. You? Carrie rubbed the wound on her shoulder. I think so. The body made a gurgling sound. What's it doing? Marlin asked. The were-gator was changing again. Its green skin and teeth and claws faded away. It was molding back into a human being. A human being with red hair and a badly crushed skull. So that's Olivia Matheson, right? Marlin asked, wiping the blood off his face. Carrie nodded. I sort of pieced it together, Marlin said. Well, not really, but I knew she was bad news. I got here as soon as I could. I let her in. I thought she was in trouble. I I was trying to help. I didn't know that she was... Wait, what was she? Marlin paced. I don't know what she was, but I know what she is. What? She's a dead body in your house. You're listening to Low Life, narrated by Nick Sullivan and Eleanor Cottle. Produced by Realm, your portal to another world. Realm, listen away.
Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. Low Life is written by Steve Marcarelli and Billy Laylor, produced by Marco Palmieri, and executive produced by Molly Barton. Audio produced by Amanda Rose Smith. Sound design and editing by Kaylin West. And theme music by Amanda Rose Smith.